Okay, so we are in chapter 7 in your books. That starts on page 65. Um, and, and this is salvation. Um, it is a big topic. The benefit, the thing we have working for us is I've been preaching through Romans. Um, so a lot of this stuff is going to be familiar enough that I won't have to spend a ton of time on some of these words and concepts that otherwise I might would feel the need to spend a lot of time on. So like justification, we can say what it is, but you know, we've preached about it for a month and a half, and so maybe we don't have to spend so much time defining it. Um, but salvation, obviously, is it, is it is what the Word of God helps us to understand. Um, the Word of God introduces us to God, explains our problem, and then presents the solution, and salvation is that solution. And so what this is, again, as a, as a theology, what this is doing is taking everything that the Bible tells us about salvation and kind of bringing it into a statement, something that we can break down and understand and explain and, and, and share with other people. And so that's, that's what this is. And so if you do look on page 65, you see that the subject matter here is the whole page. Normally they've got a statement and they've got a memory verse and other things on the page. Well, salvation takes the whole page, uh, and as it should. Um, so, so we'll read this statement, and then we'll just kind of start working through things um, as we get to them. Uh, and the things that we've very recently covered in Romans, I'll just touch on the things that maybe we haven't uh, touch, uh, dealt with in Romans yet. Then those things I'll spend a little bit more, uh, more of our time talking about. So it begins, salvation involves the redemption of the whole man. And it is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Spelled in the British way. Um, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. Uh, in its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. So then it breaks down these words, these big theological words that it threw at you. So A, regeneration, or the new birth, is a work of God, a work of God's grace, whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable expressions or experiences of grace, uh, repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. Faith is an acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment of the entire personality to Him as Lord and Savior. Justification is God's gracious uh, and full acquittal upon principles of His righteousness of all sinners. Uh, upon yeah, of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Uh, justification brings the believer into a relationship of peace and favor with God. Sanctification is the experience uh, beginning in regeneration by which the believer is set apart to God's purposes and is enabled to progress toward moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. Growth in grace should continue throughout the regenerate person's life. And then glorification. Glorification is the culmination of salvation and is the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. 
And let me tell you, that is a mouthful. There's a lot going on there. Um, the memory verse, John 3.16, we all probably know that. God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this way, uh, that he gave his one and only son, that, who, uh, that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I've got to go find out what version they use because they didn't write one. Um, not the one I learned. So anyway, um, so salvation, there's a lot there, obviously. There's, there's a lot to explain what happens um, when we are saved and what salvation means. But one thing I'll point out from the beginning, I don't, I mean, your book has to say this in some which way or another, but it, it doesn't say it right away. Salvation is an eternal process, if that makes any sense to you. In other words, yes, there is a moment that you are saved, the moment that you trust Jesus as your Savior, you know, repent of your sins, that, that, that is the moment you are saved. Um, but salvation is also a process because as we are living as believers, the, the work of salvation is continuing. And then when we reach eternity, this glorification and salvation continues on. Now, they, um, they use, and, and you have to, uh, but they use these big words, regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Um, but these words, you kind of have to use something like that to explain the different parts of this. So John 3.16 um, kind of talks about the fact that God desired to save the world. Anybody that believes, God desired to save the world. But if we remember the context of John chapter 3, Nicodemus uh, had come to Jesus at night and asked him, you know, what must I do to be saved? Um, and, and Jesus actually goes on to talk about um, the rebirth, he says, you must be born again. And that's where this whole idea of regeneration comes from, is being born again. What Jesus was actually speaking to Nicodemus about. So it helps us to, to understand. Um, so your book goes through this in a, in a very, I think, a very logical way. So we'll just kind of try to follow it a little bit. Um, so it's first bold heading there, God's righteous demands. Um, and, and without spending a lot of time, because I really have, I think, majored on this in, in our, our sermon on, uh, on Romans, God demands perfection. Now, can you give him perfection? I can't give him perfection. In fact, nobody has ever been able to give him perfection except Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly what happened. God demanded perfection. Humans, we have always fallen into sin. We are not perfect. And so the perfection that God's going to get, now this is getting ahead of ourselves, but the perfection that God's going to get is Jesus Christ. We can't be perfect. So that's, that's the issue. And so that leads right away into our need. Our sin explains our need for God's work of salvation. We can't fix our sin. We, we, we just can't do it. And so, you know, you can use examples that, that might help make sense. So... I say sometimes if you were to start today and live the rest of your life and never sin again, one, that'd be very admirable, but two, all the sin in your past would still be there. It, it doesn't go away. It doesn't, you, you don't balance the scales. A lot of people believe that you balance the scales. You do enough good to outweigh the bad and, and, then, and then you get to go to heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about purity. The Bible talks about holiness. The Bible talks about perfection. Those things don't come with balance, those things come with, you know, nothing but perfection. And, and that can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we, we, we could talk about, you know, if you've got a, if, if you've got a you know, clean glass of, of, of milk, and I like to use that one because, 
you know, sometimes a, a nice cold glass of milk, that is just, that's just what you want. It'll, it'll hit the spot. And you're sitting there just getting ready to drink a glass of milk and flies buzzing around and it lands right in your milk. Now, what do you do there? Pull the fly out and drink the milk, right? <laughs> so it, it normally, you know, it's, I kind of come up with this one when I was talking to teenagers and of course they were all like, ooh, we throw the milk away, right? And, and, and that's, that's the general idea. Th that milk is now dirty from the fly and that will always be stained. You can take the fly out, but it is still, you'll always know that it's there, right? You'll always know that that's, that's dirty. And so that's the idea about us and our sin. Once sin is there, we're dirty. And we're dirty until we are made clean. And we can't make ourselves clean. We can't go back and take sin away. No matter what we do, we can't get rid of our sin. And so God's demand was perfection. Our need, because we have sin. We have sin and, and we are no good. In fact, what righteous things we do are worthless. In the margin on page 67, it has Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like something unclean. And our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. Um, and so we, even the best that we can do isn't really clean. Even the best that we can do ultimately, now this is some pretty strong language that Isaiah uses, even the best that we can do is, is, is still dirty, like completely soiled, completely dirty. It's no good. And so that's what we have to recognize is that even our best does not come close to God. So when someone says, I'm going to do my best, and, and I've heard people say this before, I've heard people say that um, no matter what religion you have, no matter what God you follow, if you do your best, you'll make it to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us, and, and, and right here is a good example, our best, our righteousness is like polluted garments, dirty rags, filthy. It's, it's not good enough. It's not, it doesn't approach what God is expecting what God tells us that we need. And so when we think about our sin, again, we spent you know, several weeks in, in Romans early on talking about sin. Sin has thoroughly and completely polluted the human race. We are not able, we are not able to overcome our sin. So I'm going to move on just since we have covered a lot of that. Um, Christ's atonement, again, we, we've covered that. So if you've got a problem that you can't fix, you need somebody else to fix it, right? Well, what if you've got a problem that no human can fix? You need help, right? We need, we need divine help, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth, and he met the needs that we could not meet. Okay, so there are some good verses in the margin that kind of help set the tone without us having to spend a bunch of time right here. Um, the Son of Man did not come uh, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom, that's a great gospel word because of, of, of what it is right here. What is ransom? When, when do you have to pay a ransom? When somebody's been captured or somebody kidnapped or, or, or what have you. So, you know, we, we think about it kidnapping now. We think about, you know, somebody, you know, kidnap somebody that's got some money or, or, or their family's got some money and they say, hey, if you give us, you know, X number of million dollars, then we'll give you this person back. That would be ransom, right? Um, in the uh, Middle Ages, if you were a wealthy person, like a lord, like a noble, and you went out to war and, and, and somebody captured you, they could make you their prisoner until your estate or whatever paid a ransom 
for you to go back. So whatever that price was, you, were, you belonged to that person until the price was paid, right? And, and there were a lot of negotiations about that price before it was actually set, but finally once it was set, then I mean, it was a civil deal. Usually you stayed with some other lord or you stayed with somebody else, but you had to pay before you got your freedom back. So Jesus says that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. So the price for our lives was Jesus' life. And he paid it. We were being held. How, who, who was holding us? It was our own sin. Our own sin was holding us away from God. And Jesus used his life as a ransom to buy us back for God, to purchase us back. I know I've told this story before. There's some areas where it might fall apart, but this is a pretty good little story to help us understand what Jesus did. So there was this little boy and his dad, and they decided they wanted to build a toy boat, a little sailboat. And so they worked on this thing for weeks and weeks and weeks in the shop, and they made this wonderful little sailboat. had a little string on it, you know. And so they went out to the lake or the pond, and they were trying to sail the little sailboat around. You had to hang onto the string so that you didn't lose your boat. Well, um, a big gust of wind came, and it blew the sailboat real hard, and it yanked the little string out of the boy's hand, and the sailboat floated away. He couldn't get his sailboat. His daddy couldn't get his sailboat. Gone. It was just gone. Well, a couple of weeks later, they're walking down the street in town, and they look in the window of the toy store, and there's the sailboat that they made. They worked hard. They made that sailboat. So the little boy's like, Daddy, Daddy, we got to go in there and tell him that that's our boat. And so they go into the toy store and they say, Hey, this, this boat that's in the window of your store, we made that boat. And we, we lost it in an unfortunate accident, but we made this boat. And um, the toy salesman says, Well, it's mine now. You'll have to buy it back if you want it. And this, the boy said, But we made it. We made it. It's ours. And he says, well, it's mine now. You'll have to buy it back. And that's what we have to think about. God made us. He put his own breath into us. It says he breathed life into Adam. We were his. But we sinned and, and, and we left him. And the only way for us to come back was for us to be bought back. We couldn't pay the price on our own no more than the boat could buy itself. We couldn't buy ourselves. It had to be Jesus. He came. He paid the price so that we could, be, we could belong to God again. So another one, Luke 19.10, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his purpose. That's why he came to this earth, to seek and save the lost. Here is the Lamb of God, John 1.9. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist baptized him, and this was his proclamation. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So from the very beginning, it wasn't about just the teaching or the miracles or the other things that Jesus would do. It was about taking away the sin. And that was a very important thing, very important thing, something that, um, that, that we have to remember. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That whole passage there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first uh, six verses or so, you need to know those, that, that is the gospel. Um, but what we see there is that he paid the price through his death. So, so John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. How does he take away the sins of the world? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 says that he died. So that is what Jesus did. That's how he made atonement. 
That's how He paid the price for our sins so that we might be saved. That is, that is atonement. That is how He did that work. And so that is how we are saved. Um, now, when you think about... Um, you think about, I guess, kind of the modern thoughts of the day. People still want to say that there are a lot of ways. And, and they'll throw all kinds of, you know all these words that end in ist and phobe and things like that. When you say Jesus is the only way, they'll come up with something that you are. They'll call you a, a name of some variety when you say Jesus is the only way. We don't say that because we're arrogant. We don't say that because we believe that we found the best thing we say that because that's what the bible says when, when you say jesus said i'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me you're not being arrogant you're quoting a memory verse it is written in scripture that that is the only way that we can be saved and so that is a very important part of the salvation message is that it only comes through jesus christ no one else paid the price for us no one else could pay the price for us God made us. Jesus saved us. There's no one else. And, and when you really look at other religions, no other religion has salvation as its goal. No other religion is really going towards salvation. They, they talk about an afterlife in a lot of cases, but they don't actually talk about how you can be saved, how you can be made perfect, how you can be made redeemed. No other religion really has that built in, and so it's important for us to recognize that there, there isn't any other religion like Christianity. There's no other religion that has the promises of Christianity. There's no other religion that has salvation as its end. Okay, so there's some things that we need to talk about. The aspects of salvation, as they call it, starting in page um, 71, uh, the aspects of salvation. And so there's several different things. One is, is grace. Uh, there in the margin there, you can circle that, highlight it if that helps you. Um, the unmerited favor of God that provides salvation. So what does unmerited mean? You, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It was given freely. It is a gift. We talked about this a lot in the Roman series, so I won't really spend a lot of time, but that is a difficulty for a lot of us, is to believe that God wants to give us a gift. He wants to give us something for free. I want to earn it. I, I want to do something to, to you know, justify what God has done. We can't. It, it's, it's, it's His gift. It is what He has chosen to give to us. There are things you can earn and there are things you cannot earn. And one thing we can't earn is God's favor. So if you are earning somebody's favor, how do you do that? Well, you do something for them and now they have to show you favor, right? That, there's never going to be a transaction like that between us and God where we do something so great for God that he now has to show us favor. Now he has to, to do something good for us. There's, there's no way. We can't do that. We cannot put God in our debt. He is infinitely good, and you might as well say we're infinitely bad. We're, we're as far from him as we can be, and God does not owe us anything. That's what grace is all about. So the next big concept there would definitely be faith. When we think about faith, um, and the way that I like to teach it, and I know they do somewhere, maybe not on this page, but um, to me, faith and repentance, they go hand in hand. And I think that's an important thing that we have to recognize. When you're turning to God, turning to Jesus, you've got to turn away from your sin. You can't stay with the sin and go with God at the same time. 
And there's a lot of people that, that, that tend to get this all mixed up and confused. You can't stay. You're, you're coming to be saved. You can't stay there. So when we think about being lost, we need to think about something like um, we were out deep sea fishing and our boat capsized and we're floating hopelessly in the ocean. Somebody can't save you and leave you in the water, can they? They've got to get you out of the water. You've got to get out of the water. The water's the problem. The water's what's going to kill you. You've got to get out of the water. That's what we have to realize, is that how we are, our sin, our life, the things that we have chosen for ourselves, we are what's going to kill us. We have to get out of that. We have to leave that. God is going to save us. So faith and repentance, two sides of the same coin. You just don't, you don't separate them. Somebody might say, I believe in God, but if they're not turning away from their sins, they don't have faith in God. There's a difference. There's a, there's a very, very big difference. The Bible says that Satan believes in God. Satan knows about God. Satan can quote scripture. Satan is, is probably more knowledgeable about God's ways and God's word than many of us are. But you wouldn't call him a believer, would you? You wouldn't call him a Christian. And the reason is, is because he doesn't have faith in God. He's not trusting God. He's not depending on God. He's trying to be God himself. And isn't that really what most of our sin is? Us trying to be God ourselves. Us trying to, you know, be in the driver's seat. Us, us, us trying to be the one that makes the choices and, and does the work. And, and, and us trying to be the one that comes up with the plan. My goodness, coming up with a plan, that's, that's something that we, it's almost built into us. We ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, honestly, we should be asking them, has God shared with you what you're going to be when you grow up yet? Because isn't it God's choice? You know, a big thing when I was a kid, I don't watch cartoons and, and, and kids' commercials anymore, so I don't know if this is still what they say to kids. I've got a sinking suspicion that it's probably not. When I was a kid, they would tell you, you can be anything you want to be. And I know that was meant to be a positive statement. That really was. But it wasn't true. It wasn't true then. It's not true now. You can be what God wants you to be, or you can be unhappy. That's just, that's just how it is. We will not be happy. We will not find true satisfaction if we're going after what we want. If we're going after what, what, is, what is put before us as the right thing to do. You know, the reality is we've got to find God's will and follow that. So when we think about, when we think about repentance, you know, the word means to turn. Right, So you're turning away from your sin. What all is sin? Well, we know that, um, well, the Bible says anything um, that you can't do in faith, that that would be sin, right? Um, the Bible also says to him that knows the good thing to do and doesn't do it, that's sin. So that would be a positive and a negative. So if there are good things, you know this is good, but you don't do it, that would be a sin. Um, things that you can't do in faith. Um, in other words, if you know for a fact God's watching and you can't do this, then, then don't do it any other time because you just, you can't. It's, it's sin at that point. Even if the Bible doesn't have a thou shalt not for it, if you would not do it with God sitting face to face with you, then don't do it because he is sitting face to face with you. That, that, that's, the, that's the point. So when we talk about that, but 
But sin is even more than that. There, there are sinful attitudes where it's not really an action. It's just a sinful attitude. That would be pride. That would be, that would be self-sufficiency. That would be um, holding grudges. That would be any number of things where you're not physically doing anything, but you're still in the wrong. So we've got to turn away from all of that. That's what repentance is. And so ultimately, it's a life for a life. Jesus gave his life. And we're going to leave the life that we're living to go live the new life that he's giving us. Which brings us to our next thing, regeneration. Um, so regeneration, it, it's, it's spiritual rebirth. It is, it is the new creature. Paul talks about it. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're a new creature. We have been made new. We cover that in Romans as well. And so that is a very wonderful thing. Everything that we had did, every, every choice that we'd made, everything that we were doing before we were saved was under our own power. It was, it was what we wanted. It was what we thought was best. I know a lot of people have grown up being good people. They, they were raised right. They tried to make sure they never hurt anybody. They tried to be honest. They tried to work hard, pay their bills, you know, do the things that they were supposed to do, be, you know, be responsible. But you know, people like that, they're, they're great people, they're great citizens, but a lot of times you still see their lives crumble, and you wonder why. Well, why is that? You, it, it's got to be God. It's got to be God. You know, the thing that sometimes I play with things in my mind that maybe I shouldn't, but God may have had them on the very same path, but he was going to lead them there. But because they were trying to get there under their own strength, that's why it crumbled. We've got to realize that God is going to make us into something new, and He's going to lead. He's going to be driving it. It's now His life. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians chapter uh, 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And so in Paul's mind, his life was over. Jesus was living out because, see, Jesus died. died you would say prematurely, based on he was like 33 years old. When we get saved, whatever years we have left, they're not our years. They're the years that Jesus would have had. And so they're his life. It's his life. It's what we, we are doing what he would have us to do, not what we would want to do, not our plans and not our purposes, but it would be everything belonging completely to him. So that's important. There's a lot of really good stuff in your book about repentance um, and regeneration. So those are, those are some good things to, to kind of read on. But I am going to move because I'm running low on time. Uh, justification, we really did cover this in Romans. Um, and, and I'll just try to make it pr pretty simple. Um, God has a courtroom in heaven. And it's not like the courtrooms on earth where you get to go time and time and time again. You go to this courtroom one time, one time you show up at this courtroom. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that courtroom, you are declared innocent. You are declared justified. You are declared as if you have fulfilled every obligation of the law. So think about the Jews for just a minute. There were, there were not only things that you should do, things that you shouldn't do. There were ways that you should worship. There was all kinds of cleanliness laws. The, 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 the law, we call the first five books of the Bible, we call that the law. According to justification, we are declared to have fulfilled all the requirements of the law. 
the, the, the thou shalt nots and the thou shalls and everything else in between, we are considered to have obeyed all of those things, fulfilled all of those requirements, not based on our works, but based on Jesus. The only other appearance at that court, you don't have Jesus on your side and you're condemned. And the thing is, for us that are saved, it's already true that we're justified. For those that will not be saved, it's already true that they're condemned. And so we have to recognize that, that that's not like a worldly court where you go this time and you go the next time and you go the next time. It's a one-time deal. And that's what justification is, is being declared as if you have obeyed the full content of the law. Nothing left out, nothing lacking. Okay, so that's very, very important. Okay, so now when we think about faith, um, well, we've kind of already talked about faith, but, but I'll just mention in faith, faith is, is not agreeing with certain ideas. So faith is not just saying Jesus is Lord. Faith is living as if Jesus is Lord. Faith is believing it with your heart, not with agreeing it intellectually. Um, there are a lot of people that agree intellectually with things that the Bible says, but they don't believe them, and that is a major, major difference. All right, so let's talk about sanctification, because that really, we've talked about it in Romans, but I don't believe I've used that word. I try not to use some of those words. Justification, you read the Bible, you read that word. Uh, sanctification, not quite as much, and so I, I know it's in Thessalonians and a few other places, but it's not as often, and so I try not to use those theology words when they're not in the Bible. But sanctification is the work that God does throughout our lives, beginning at salvation, but through the rest of our lives, making us holy, setting us apart, making us the way that we're supposed to be. Um, most people, when they get saved, they've got a, at least a mental list of things that are like, well, this has got to go, this has got to go, this has got to go. They've got a mental list of things that's, that's got to go. Um, and, and, and that is, that is admirable and that's good. And, and, and we know we have to turn away from those things. But what happens is as we get closer to God, we see more and more that's wrong with us. So let me explain it like this. Think about Isaiah chapter six In Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah has this vision and he is in the throne room of God and he sees God. He sees all the majesty of God, the, the, the creatures declaring, holy, holy, holy. He sees all of that. And what is Isaiah's response? He falls down on his face, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. The closer he got to the holiness of God, the more vibrantly he could see his own sin. And, and, and that's what the Christian walk is like. As we get closer to God, we're going to see our own sin. Now, we have to know this going in so that it doesn't disturb us or make us feel like we're not making any progress. So, if you were to say, you know what, I'm really, really going to devote to my prayer life, to my Bible reading, to that time that I spend with God, buckle up because he's probably going to show you some things. You know, it is very rare that you're going to open the Word of God and diligently read it and not find something that convicts you. That's what it's there for. It's going to show you something that you're not doing, something that you're not, you're not committed to the way that you should. And don't take that as a discouragement. That's refining. That's sanctification. That is making you better day in and day out. God's going to bring things to your remembrance in some way or another that you're going to have to deal with. 
you're going to have to square with the fact that I've got to walk away from this. I've got to leave this where it is, and I've got to go to God. Because that's, that's how we have to be. And so sanctification is that process, day in and day out, of making us holy, calling us out apart from the rest of the world. So even the things that everybody's doing, we can't do. We, we can't be a part of that because that is, and it may not necessarily be bad, but we've got to be called away from those things, called separate from those things. So, you know, brand new Christian, just get saved. You're not going to be sensitive to a lot of the things that's happening in the world. You're just not. You're going to say, oh, well, that's just that way, and that's just that way. Um, but, you know, as a, just as a person, and not even from your Christian identity, so if you were to turn on the radio in the 1950s and some of the 1960s, you would hear pretty much positive, upbeat music, right? Whatever channel you turned it to, pretty much positive, upbeat music. Occasionally you would hear songs that, were, that, that indicated something sinful was going on, but it was never like just, just out there. Well, you get into the 80s and the 90s and things get a little bit more specific, you know, um, and, and, and in ways that it shouldn't. Um, please do not turn on the radio today and listen to the lyrics of songs. Um, they're bad. I read an article this morning. I don't even want to go into it. Uh, but a famous artist had to change a word in, a word in her song, and the article had the lyrics for the verse that the word was in, and I thought, she needs to delete the song. I mean, the whole thing's bad. You know, it's not, it's not like this one word is, is a problem. I mean, yeah, the one word might be a problem, but the whole thing is a problem. And it's just unveiled now. The darkness that's in the world is not hiding anymore. We can't be a part of it. We can't be associated with it. We, 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 can't, we can't be hand in hand with those things. There might have been a time where you would have invited, if you had some kind of connection or friendship with a celebrity or something like that, there might have been a time you would have invited a celebrity to say, hey, I want you to come speak at my church. Name me a celebrity now that you could do that. I can't think of a single one that I would want to come in here and talk to people. Who knows what they're going to start saying? They're like politicians now. They'll say whatever gets them popular. So, you know, the thing is, is, is we can't be a part of that. And sanctification is calling us out of that bringing us out of the world into God's way, into God's life, into the way that God wants us to live. Okay, so um, last one, glorification. Um, glorification is the, the, the summing up of all of those things. How do we get glorified? Well, you can go the way that most of us are going to go. You can be a Christian and die. When you die, God's going to finish all of this work up, wherever you are. So the thief on the cross, remember the thief on the cross? Jesus when you're in paradise, remember me? Well, God had a lot of work to do. He did it all in an instant, but he had a lot of work to do because that man was being justly executed for crimes that he had committed. And yet he had a, a can't say deathbed, but, but he, he had an end-of-life conversion. Boom. He went through regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification, all in an afternoon. All of it in an afternoon. But then you've got people that are saved when they're very young. They live their whole lives in the process, essentially, of regeneration and sanctification. And at the end of their lives, when they die, they're glorified. They become like Christ. 
That's what glorification means. We become like Christ. We have the resurrected bodies. We, are no longer, we no longer have a sin nature. We are now perfected and we will live forever in that state. There's one generation. The Bible teaches us this. One generation. Paul says we will not all sleep. But in the twinkling of an eye we will all change. One generation. At some point Jesus is coming back and he's going to receive that generation. They will be changed as they fly through the air. That's how the Bible explains it. They will be going up to meet Jesus in the air, and somewhere in that process, they're going to change. Now, you've heard that called the rapture. That word's not in the Bible, um, but the word rapture means to be caught up. It's got Latin roots, and that's what the Bible uses is the word caught up. You'll be caught up in the air. And so there, there's coming one generation that will change that way. But those are the only two ways. You either die or you get raptured. That's how glorification happens for us. And so that is the, the summing up of everything. So just like anything else, at the end of it, there's probably still work to do. At the end of your life, there's probably still more things that, that you need to turn away from, more things that need to be refined. And in the moment that you die, it'll be finished. God will finish it all. And so deathbed conversions, it all happens at once. For those that live their whole life, God works and works and works and refines and refines and finds, and, and, and there you go. Um, you know, some people are going to get to heaven, and the hem of their garment's going to be singed because they just barely made it. Uh, they just barely trusted Jesus at that last moment and became believers. And there's going to be people that have walked with Jesus all their lives, and they're going to have crowns, and they're going to have, you know, all these things to put at the feet of Jesus. But the reality is, getting there, that's what matters. That's what matters. And so if it's early, if it's late, trust him, trust him, trust him. What a great salvation we have because we were totally, completely, and hopelessly lost. God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price. And yes, there's a lot of big words that your book uses to explain it, but ultimately Jesus saved you and he's bringing you with him to heaven. Either through death or the rapture, you're going his way. And so that is, that is the beauty of salvation, and that is, that is what God has made for us. And ultimately, that's the point of the Bible. God is saving us. And so it, it's, it's very important for us to recognize that. Any questions? All right. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time to gather together here for a few minutes and, and study your word and, and to think about salvation and uh, the price that you had to pay your faithfulness in all of this. And Lord, right now, the thing I'm most grateful for is that it doesn't depend on me. I can make a mistake and I can mess up pretty much anything. But when, when it is you, when you are the one in charge, I know that things will go exactly as they're supposed to go. So praise you, Lord, for being in control. Praise you, Lord, for making a way that depended not on me, but completely and totally on you. Father, you are a good and loving and gracious God. You've given us a Savior, one that can save our souls for all eternity. I pray that you help us to really, really reflect on that and realize what a great salvation we have so that when someone asks, why are we smiling? Why, why are we different? Why are we happy? Why are we set apart? We can tell them about our Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.